0: Well, hello and welcome to My Dailarama's Top Picks podcast. I'm Abla Kanzelaf, film programmer, journalist and researcher with my co-host Coco Green, armchair critic and aspiring academic. In topics, we discuss marginalisation, resistance and some of the isms in drama, documentary, mystery and independent films and series. Now in its 11th year, My Die champions independent film and its use as a platform for underrepresented and oft ignored voices. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at MyDialarama and if you like what we do leave a review on Apple Podcasts short link is mydilink slash Apple or Spotify at mydilink slash Spotify and support us with either a one-time or monthly donation at mydilink slash donate and you can subscribe to our newsletter at mydilink slash subscribe. A big shout out to our new um, supporters which uh, will receive an email shortly from us with some some goodies and uh, what are they called? Not cheat codes, what
1: are they called? No, perks and um, off, no, promo oh, codes. Promo codes, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs>
0: so we do have that coming your way, so thank you very much. This week, it's just us two, and we will be discussing the film One Night in Miami. Now, just before this, um, I have a couple of uh, things I'd like to flag from what I've been watching. So, first of all, as pretty much everyone else, I've been watching Line of Duty. Have you heard of No,
1: but I'm guessing it's a police drama. Wait, an American police drama? No, I haven't heard of that.
0: No, no, it's English. It's English. and I've been putting off watching it because I had a feeling it was going to be about terrorism and policing and I really can't be asked with any of that. Turns out it's not it's mostly about police corruption and it's really just really good fun. It is very good TV. Um some of it's a bit hammy, some of it's a bit convoluted, but it's really well uh uh stitched together as a plot and the acting's just phenomenal. I mean, I, I really i am a big fan of both lead actors, Martin Comston, whose acting debut was in Ken Loach's Sweet 16, so I've been keenly following his career since then, and uh, Vicky McClure, who I'm a big fan of, and I could watch anything she's in. But talking about crime drama, this week's uh, focus really is on Too Close. So this is a crime, uh, crime drama, sorry, no, it's not. Too Close is a psychological drama, I'd call it, that was uh, broadcast on ITV. Uh, It stars Emily Watson and Denise Gough, so two really excellent actresses. So the plot of this is that forensic psychiatrist Emma Robertson, who's played by Emily Watson. Do you you know any Emily Watson? Is that from Harry Potter? (laughs) That's Emma Watson. (laughs) Oh, Emily Watson. Uh, like, was that's in Breaking... not
1: close. I love how you, oh, that's ridiculous. It's close. Okay, no. So who's Emily Watson?
0: Emily Watson, I think her career debut was in Breaking the Waves. Am I right? Yeah, Breaking the Wave by Lars von Trier. Um, she's also in Secrets and Lies. And
1: Wait, I do know Secrets and Lies. Yeah, she's the sister. Wait, which sister? There's two sisters. The white one. <laughs> ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> no i i yeah no secrets and lies was good um it was was so realistic i love how the mom held on to the secret of the dad till the end And like yep that sounds about right (laughs) no honestly that was the way to go forward like that is realistic of what would happen and i'm glad they also showed someone who you know even though i think it was you know they probably could have cast the 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 adopted daughter better because even though we know what happens I love how people like to point that yes yes you can have someone with a white mother who looks black but come on we know <laughs> she <laughs> she would have been <laughs> a little lighter um if if nothing else just saying just to kind of hint to yeah. that because then and you've heard that from children who are adopted in that situation right that they're a little different from their other siblings and anyway but yeah, yeah no I do know the film
0: so you know Emily Watson
1: I do. So I've not seen her in anything else.
0: uh, So she, as I said, Emily Watson plays a forensic psychiatrist who's assigned to a suspect called uh, Connie Mortensen, who's played by Denise Gough. So Connie Mortensen drove her car off a bridge with her daughter and her daughter's friend in the back seat. Um, And then she's presumably, it's implied that she's lost her memory of the incident and she needs a psychiatrist to work with her to retrieve both her memory... Uh, And understand what happened and more specifically what frame of mind she was in. So whether or not she was mentally competent or in a healthy mental state when she did this, so that um, they can judge her accordingly, I guess. And it really touched a nerve with me. It was very unsettling and I found it to to be a very effective exploration of grief. Um, So spoiler alert, let's go into um, the issues at the heart of it. She loses her mum and the relationship she has with her mother is a very close one and I just found it it really spoke to me and I found it very, very sad the way she was completely um, left alone and unsupported by the rest of the community she was living amongst. And the other thing that I really liked about it was that it... So it's it acts as a damning indictment of medical laziness rather than incompetence. So it turns out that she did it under... Uh, in a bit of a psychotic state that was induced by her being on pills that she shouldn't have been on. Lots of things lead her to be in an emotional turmoil, she's not coping, she's mentally unwell and she sees her doctor and the doctor just fobs her off with some pills. Um, I really liked it. It got um, some comments said that it was a bit, some of it was just not that believable and there was one scene that both me and Chris found quite funny. Oh yeah, so again this is a massive spoiler so please skip forward if you don't want to know but she bonds with her neighbor a female neighbor and she starts to develop feelings towards her at the same time her own husband suggests them having an open relationship because he starts to fantasize about other women and she thinks well okay why not I might well she's she's already attracted to that neighbor so she thinks it's a it's a way for her to explore that um, a relationship with the neighbor. And she finds out basically that her husband's having an affair with the neighbor. And the way she finds out is the husband, but calls her as he's having sex with the neighbor.
1: So... Okay. That's a bit, uh, that's a bit weird. Okay. So I'm going to call that as unrealistic. She probably just would have found out because you know how messy people are. She would either, I think, yeah, have found something of the neighbor that... I mean, I think she just would have found evidence another way, especially if they're already friends. Or if anything, I think the neighbor might have just told her because that's how people are. You know well, he wants me now. Yeah, you know and exactly.
0: And especially given the, the, the fact that they've spoken about having this open relationship and seeing other people. So it wasn't even... I mean, I'm calling it an affair. It wasn't meant to be an affair at all. But it's just how... My, my, the first thing I thought of was, where is the phone and all this? <laughs> it just sat on it. Um And also... Not only that, so he bought calls her during the sex act. And as he's saying the neighbor's name. <laughs> so
1: I thought, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. too much. Oh, actually, you know what? With this stupid. Uh... What's the. The AI on iPhone called the AI what? What's the AI called? Siri, yes. It should have been, you know, <laughs> and they could have incorporated Siri now in so people could learn. Let me disable that because it does a little too much. So, yeah, I mean, I think it would have been something more simple. Yeah, I, I, that was, yeah. Yeah. Because when you butt dial, as we know, when you butt dial, you're usually sitting on something. So it's like you would have been driving. Um, it just wouldn't have been in that situation.
0: It's just brilliant. Now, I don't know if that was a shortcut for the. um. For the the episode, because it's actually based on a book, it's based on a novel. So I'm not sure. I haven't read it, so maybe that was just used as a as a device, just because they didn't want to go into a whole um, into the lengthy way in which she finds out about the affair, or maybe that's just in the book as well. I'm not sure. So that was that. It's on ITV, and then very quickly uh, a film we watched a couple of nights ago. And I don't think this is going to be on many people's radar. So uh, do watch out for it if you can. It's uh, from 2021. It's called Willy's Wonderland and it stars Nicolas Cage. So as you might know, Cage has a hefty tax bill to pay. So he tends to say yes to pretty much everything. And his often bizarre performances have garnered him a bit of a cult following. So we thought it was going to be a bit crap. And it's one of those B movies that he's just said yes to, just um to, to get some money. But uh, it's uh, it's quite effective. It's called co- I describe it as a horror comedy. So the basic plot is an enigmatic driver played by um, Nicholas Cage breaks down near one of those you know those one stop towns in the U S where there's barely anything. Um, but there's a garage and there's an, amuse- an amusement center. And he's tricked by the garage owner into cleaning the amusement centre in exchange for the repair because he just doesn't have cash on him to pay for the repair. And of course, the amusement centre is haunted and it's um, it's haunted by animatronic puppets. <laughs> we didn't expect anything much from it, but the puppets are really, really creepy. And there are some genuinely effective uh, jump scares. And I just re- I just found it quite enjoyable to watch now the funniest thing is he doesn't say a single word uh throughout the whole film we could picture how that conversation went when he was made to sign the contract <laughs> i'll take the money just don't expect me to learn any lines the last thing very very quickly before we move on i also want to flag a short film that will be online tomorrow it's a short film called savage by dennis Dobrovoda. so i've been helping promote it a bit because i think it's just a just a very strong short film and I don't know if I mentioned this film to you Socorro but it's about human zoos so it's a dramatized account of a man brought from Africa to London at the turn of the 20th century and exhibited in a museum uh-huh. that will be free to watch online tomorrow um, and th- I mean this podcast will probably go out on Tuesday Wednesday so I'll put a link in the blog. right that's it for me sorry rattled on how about you
1: no it's fine. I mean, something I saw which I didn't bring up that I probably should because I've not watched anything for a while, um, was this film I saw must have been a couple months ago, but it was released on Netflix in 2019. It's a 2017 film though called Abducted and Plain. I don't you know you know how I hate to use the word triggered. but I do wonder <laughs> if it brought up something for me about not having adults in your life who you can who are reliable. Okay, yeah. Because to me, that's what it brought out. So the story is about Jan Broberg, and she was kidnapped by a family friend, Robert mm-hmm. Berchtold. And he kidnapped her twice. And they were all part of a Mormon community in Idaho. And it's about, and this has, you know, spoiler, spoiler. The yeah. way he was able to do it was by seducing her parents to get to her. And I don't think I'd ever heard of such a thing. And so then the way he was able to get away with the first kidnapping he did take her to Mexico and he threatened that he would not bring her back unless the parents approved their marriage which they would not do so they were ultimately tracked down she was brought home Janet by her family Mm -hmm. however the parents were then blackmailed by Um, the kidnapper Robert and his wife who said they would disclose information about his affair with the father if he went forward to press... If the family pursued or helped the FBI to press charges and that was enough to silence them. And of course, that's what, you know, people from law enforcement were just like, how can you sell out your own kids because you're embarrassed? Because what they had done wasn't illegal. Mm -hmm. It would just have brought the family shame. But it's like, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but then he'll be free to kidnap other children. Yeah. I just, I couldn't. After that, I was through with those parents. I just, that was the most horrible thing I'd ever heard. It's jaw-dropping. It's
0: unbelievable.
1: It, it, it is. That, for some reason, that reminded me of it when you talked about an affair with the parents. <laughs> uh, or the affair, <laughs> sorry, the, not the affair of parents. The affair in the story that you were talking about, having an open marriage. Yeah. And you're just... And I, you know, I know I don't have children. I know I'm not married. I just would hope that I would not let my own shame and guilt keep me from getting justice for my child who was, yeah, kidnapped and raped. I mean, that's, that's extreme. You know, a lot of crime can happen to your children. Um, That's. Not intentional, but how? I mean, grooming the parents, because that's, I think what's a struggle for me is I just don't know if I believe that. Like we talk mm-hmm. about grooming because a child does not have the mental capacity. They're easily manipulated. Yeah. We know how children are. They believe whatever you tell them and they want to please any adult, which is why we have to have a different vocabulary and understanding about what that looks like. But you're an adult. I just don't, mm-hmm. how does it apply grooming an adult?
0: Yeah. It sounds well, like you were it.
1: seduced, but- to be seduced and then sell out your children, basically. <sighs> you I mean, know, that percent, isn't that what
0: cults do? You could call that grooming.
1: Ah, uh, no, because cults also isolate you and they also deprive you of food to make you compliant. They have all sorts of tricks that, not if you're living at home. So, no, i that's why cults, they have to take you away from your home because otherwise mm-hmm. it's not going to work if you're in a network of love and support. So, I mean, I don't know if they call that grooming. That's why they call that brainwashing.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Uh, And even then, I don't know if these parents fit that because they had, and not only that, but other people in the community did not want to be friends with him because they spent one day with him and they're like, I'm cool. He's a weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's just inappropriate. He's awful. And so how is it that everyone else in the town spent one day out? And, And then the whole setup was weird. Like who lets... A father, I mean, and you have a couple of friends with children. Wouldn't you find it bizarre if the father came to your house to take Layla out, his kids and wife nowhere in sight? You'd be like, why? Uh, God, We're trying to get rid of her. Why on earth would an adult with their own children want to take my daughter without their children out? oh yeah yeah yeah
0: that's right no that's That's what I'm saying when he
1: came to pick her up he didn't have his own children and or wife with him nobody would trust that it's weird no yeah like even without I mean even if you don't suspect molestation you suspect something else is amiss like who would want to do that (laughs) that means that you're taking them out (laughs) even then you have your own children take them out maybe why would you drive to someone else's Hmm. well Please, who, whose children is so special that adults just want to spend time with them randomly? Stop it. No such child exists anywhere. Oh, uh, my. That's why the parents try to get rid of them. Oh, stop. Okay. I didn't realize we were still there with Layla, But if that's the game we're playing, okay. I yeah. mean, that's just the most shocking. I think I don't think I've ever heard of that. And even the father's tale of the affair was suspect
0: everything was suspect maybe
1: i've never been seduced in my life it makes me rethink (laughs) everything because i just can't imagine you know one of my girlfriends taking me out and putting their hand on my knee and then that beginning of an affair i just i don't even see that how that how that work but that's what you,
0: how, how everyone ended up watching that documentary is word of mouth because the story was so unbelievable that know, you would not even just, it believe it from up. a drama.
1: See, I didn't hear from word of mouth, it just popped up as something suggested for me. Yeah, I just I mean I know you don't drive, but I just couldn't imagine you driving me out and talking about problems in your marriage and then putting your hand on my knee and then that be the <laughs> beginning. No. Like <laughs> I just I mean, anything that's possible, I just can't imagine that being the begin beginning of our affair. Uh, well, I've got my answer then. <laughs> 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 No, exactly. I'll need dinner. I need a vacation. That's why I'm always trying to lure you to an expensive hotel. <laughs> it's going to take a lot more. So yes, I don't believe the seduction story. I think it was an actual relationship. That's how he had the evidence to blackmail him. And I think it's just so shocking that wow, you you just kind of imagine parents go to the ends of the earth to protect their children. But I encourage people to watch it if you haven't already. So Abducted in Plain Sight on Netflix, the 2017 film. Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. So tonight we are talking about One Night in Miami, which is Regina King's directorial debut starring Kingsley ben as Malcolm X, Eli Goree as Cassis Clay, a.k.a. Muhammad Ali, Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown and Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. And it's a fictionalized account of the four icons meeting in Miami, Florida, after Muhammad Ali's first heavyweight title bout with San, with Sonny Liston. So the film's based on Kent Power's screenplay, which imagines their one night at the Hampton House, which is located in Brownsville, outside of Liberty City, which is on the mainland, which is where they, they, along with other black, black celebrities, stay due to the segregation laws in Miami. And that was the base for in their heyday and for these four characters. So to quote playwright Kent Powers, this play is simply about because the, did I already say that? Ah, oh, yes, I did. The screenplay is based on Kent Powers' play by the same name. And he describes it as simply, a, simply about one night, four friends and the many pivotal decisions that can happen in a single revelatory evening. And though it is set in 1964, I've always viewed this as a very contemporary play. The issues each of the men is dealing with are mirrored by modern men and women. The big difference being that the specter of death was hanging over these four, which raised the stakes immeasurably. I think we've been successful, and I hope audiences have a fun time with the play. But on a personal level, I can't help but see this story as a tragedy. This was the last evening these four friends were together. Within months, Malcolm and Ali would end their friendship. Sam Cooke would be shot and killed in a hotel room soon after. And Malcolm X would be assassinated just days before the one year anniversary of the magical event. Right. So what did you make of it? Well, so I did like the acting to be. Well, should we start with the positive or the negative? no (laughs) oh
0: dear okay
1: I didn't I only like Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke the others and I couldn't get around that Muhammad Ali accent that was
0: right I I went on YouTube to try and find clips of Muhammad Ali because I Mm -hmm. thought that his accent did jar a bit and I I was wondering whether he actually did sound like that
1: Well, we've talked about me and accents before. I'm not the person to ask because when I tend to like accents, everyone else says it's horrible. (laughs) And I can't tell the difference between a South African and Australian accent. Right. So I'm not one to ask. I will say because he's supposed to not supposed to be Muhammad Ali is from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm just not sure if he sounded like that. I mean, because he did have an accent. Certainly. I mean, I've. Yeah. I've seen his interviews. He had an accent, but that wasn't it. That's all I'm going to say. And I don't know if that's came from a voice coach, but I, I wasn't here for any of that, but I didn't, they, it wasn't believable to me, to be honest. I didn't believe that that was Malcolm X. I did, but you know, to be fair, I don't know too much about Jim Brown. I've only mm-hmm. seen him in a few things in the nineties kind of action films, but it may have even been the two thousands. My memory's not great on that, but I'm not, too familiar with him and i'm not even sure what i thought of that need for the scene in the beginning yeah with he and the yeah yeah i don't know how necessary that was because if i mean he was jim brown wasn't raised there right in georgia Mm -hmm. he he spent his early years there but he was ultimately was in i want to say new jersey or something like that right where he was built played high school sports and then went on to college I think I that whole know. that whole
0: first bit felt very expo- expositional and I think yeah, that I was probably why because it's based on a play and I think that that the first that sort of opening sequence and the first half really feel like a, you're watching a play so I don't know if you felt that
1: I didn't feel that I to me it just felt out of place I think they could have began the play with Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali I don't even know how we should refer to them because I guess it was before he changed his name so let's just say (laughs) Cassius Clay but it's weird because he I'm gonna say Muhammad Ali it just feels weird to call him Cassius Clay so Muhammad Ali was in the pool I thought that was a really good shot and I think they could have begun there yeah so I don't know why we needed those sort of background details okay so I didn't like the actors (laughs) I didn't like the characters but I did like the questions that the film raised, which I think was important. Although before we do that about the questions of the film, I think we should discuss briefly the issue that I heard come up from other commentators about black immigrants playing black American icons.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So who who are you referring to?
1: Oh, now I have to look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we know Kingsley ben is British, right? Um, I did not know okay yes he is british oh and i guess eli goree he's because i yeah because i looked up what that god-awful accent was about he's canadian but i'm guessing probably from the caribbean i don't know though oh it says his father's black trinidadian and his mother's white english but i think so the argument though is twofold right one is being an actor you do draw upon experience so if you don't have the experience of being American in any way experiencing this type of racism so it's it's both playing Black Americans and playing roles in which racism institutional American Mm -hmm. racism is a central feature to the character so it's one how can you play that and you've never experienced that and then number two are just the economics of Hollywood where there are very few Black roles so Mm -hmm. should those not go to people who are struggling from the legacy of being shut out over generations in hollywood
0: even from an outsider's perspective i i would agree with that
1: i mean i mean i don't think i do but i i certainly understand i i wouldn't be critical of someone who has that position
0: if you well, get, no, i mean like yeah. even
1: though because I, I can i disagree with things and i'm critical of that saying like it's stupid you believe that but even though i don't agree with it like i, I wouldn't be critical of it because i get the logic and the reasoning and it makes sense to say what are things that you protect for the benefit of the people who yeah. suffered from it
0: yeah no absolutely so you kind of have to engineer it a bit because it doesn't these things don't happen in a vacuum they happen you're right in a situation where there are very few roles to go around and yeah. it's addressing a particular issue to uh, cast to cast a black americans in those roles
1: and those specific kind of roles right so yeah. certainly not saying when you have even though they've been displaced but remember back in the 2000s and the 90s the black best friend was a thing so certainly any black person can play that role because her race isn't central to the plot she's just the best friend and then that's the role the black women used to get so okay whatever but yeah we're talking about two specific things here and it is about also on a tangential way what's then if Black British actors go to the U.S., what's their struggle in Britain for roles for black actors? Because there was a campaign which I've not heard anything about in ages. I think I told you my friend Kevin was a part of that when they were talking about really all non-white actors able to get roles in British theater and television and cinema. So then what's your role in that struggle if, if you're just like, well, no, I'm just going to take, you know, because it, it's almost like, It's it's a contradiction because I've raised this issue with a couple of British friends, literally just two. And one was just like, well, no, it's about the best actor who gets the role. It's like, well, wait a second. If that, that's not your argument in the UK, because if that's the case, you wouldn't have an argument to to cast more black people because by that logic, you don't have a case to be cast because it's like, well, whoever you want is going to do it best. And if they think black people can't do it best, then you just talked yourself out of a role at all in terms of the group having a place and a presence. So yeah, do you have an opinion on that?
0: I'm not in that position, so I don't really want to speak on anyone's behalf, but from having been sort of part of that world, having been part of an agency that represents mostly black actors and ethnic minority actors, um, there's a massive lack of agency and power really. So there's nothing much they can do do you see what i mean so it's speaking uh, yeah, to that
1: cuz we're in the same position we don't own anything in the no. us right it's like you don't own a studio you don't
0: no but, have your own but production what company. they yeah. think so speaking to for example i'm thinking of a conversation i had with one of my uh, ac- a black actor friends who was with the mm-hmm. same agency he was genuinely thinking of just saving up a bit of money and going to la and the reason for that is from his perspective is that there is just more stuff being made there's more productions there's more money so it's a numbers game, kind of by default, he's more likely to get work. And from the exported shows we see screened from, from America, it feels like, and I think this is, again, it's a numbers thing, because there's just so much stuff being done, is it seems like um black actors get cast in a very wide variety of roles, whereas it does feel here like they will get cast as um the the usual gangster drug dealer a uh, victim of police violence etc so i can see where that comes from i don't know the reality on the ground though i mean i assume that you um, a lot of them will just end up in la and just not getting any work because like the ones that actors. do already yeah already have a network but, already have but no but
1: we're talking about there's two different things right so one is it's absolutely true like there's no equivalent to hollywood right there's one yeah. so you've got one hollywood It's the second part of it, which is the roles that you take. So certainly, like I said, it's only talking about those two specific ones. So black icons, which were real people, so not fictional people. And then the second type are characters where institutional racism is central to the plot or the character right so those two things specifically but those are a small portion of roles right because the idea really should be like in an ideal world everyone can play any kind of role yeah but that's when it becomes tricky is when you're talking about real people who were not only you know it's like it's almost like you know the extreme example was when there was a white man that played Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King and that's just it it's like and to me that's when it's a problem because well if you want a, to make up a fictitious civil rights leader and have that played by a white person to get a response, that's fine. But Martin Luther King, that was a real person, <laughs> so yeah. I think you gotta you ha, you have to be careful when it comes to that. And the same with the characterization of why can't I think of her name? Oh my gosh, where's my head at? Uh, Nina Simone? No. Harriet Tubman but Um, Nina Simone could also could be an example but I think if Harriet Tubman but the Nina Simone example was also remember when they did um Zoe um Saldana yeah that's what i was thinking
0: of that's why
1: oh but that's another example of that right um and I I wasn't sure if I quite agreed with her because she was saying I've always said I'm black I'm like "Mm, I don't recall that (laughs) I don't remember her ever saying she was black ever. And I remember when the film came out, the first person who came to my mind was who, who's the one. Um, Oh, India Ari. Like I thought she looks like her and she's the singer that should have been their go-to.
0: Well, I don't know who that is.
1: Oh, what? You don't know who India Ari Unimportant. The point is she <laughs> plays instruments. She's got an amazing voice. So I think she could have pulled something like that, that off. Yeah. And she looks you know, when Nina was younger, not older, Nina, but she looks, she favors her. Wow. Okay. So I thought that. So I thought it was bizarre. Like, why would you go to someone who has put on a prosthetic nose, to the hair? I mean, everything about that <laughs> was awful. It's like, don't, don't put on the prosthetic nose. Just, <laughs> just, just let her play it as herself. It would be like, it was so bizarre. And that's so it also begs the question. So that's just it. Like, do you understand enough? from your own personal history but then if people do that right and this is where where i really don't quite agree with that it's like even though it is true i think of previous generations now you have black actors coming up who are removed from that understanding of institutional racism right because you did have a small you know significant like 10 percent of black people who worked hard to disconnect their children from the realities of institutional racism now so i'm not saying it's good or bad i'm just saying then you come up and it's like well then should you be able to play these roles because you don't really have a personal understanding of that even from your own parents so then should you be able to so uh and i think in previous generations it was that was a no-brainer that's just what everyone experienced whether they wanted to admit it or not but now i think you have a small 10 percent group who doesn't quite get it they they're the types who say oh it's just people's attitudes we need to love each other you know that whole group and i think they're a significant vocal minority and i would say well then they shouldn't be able to play those parts either because they also can't draw from an emotional well they would have to make it up which is i think how you maybe you get the performances you got (laughs) in this which i didn't yeah i wasn't here for the performances but it sounds like you like the performances I,
0: I did like the performances. I thought the acting was, was good. Now, to be fair, I apart from Malcolm X, I don't know what any of the others, um, I didn't have in mind what any of the others sounded or acted like in real life. Um, and only, and Malcolm X only because of us doing the podcast the other uh, on um, Black Messiah, I'd watched a couple of interviews with him and I so it, it was fresh in my mind. And I actually thought the performance was pretty good the like um, in terms of his mannerisms and so on. but um, the the rest of the actors I just I had to look them up now. Um, Audem Jr. Audem Jr, that's it. So he plays oh, what's his name Sam White
1: cook not, good sam cook, or so I'm getting them
0: confused. right so i didn't know who sam as you can tell <gasps> i didn't know who sam cook was going just by his name as soon as yeah chris pulled the same face and as soon as he mentioned the songs well, i recognize the
1: musician so that's the, he would know he and, knows and not only him. that like chris does jazz so he, yeah. he would know who sam cook he Even kn- i know sam cook doesn't jazz
0: but before. i i obviously know his songs i hadn't realized i didn't know his name so i didn't really know um, what he looked like in in real life or anything, but I thought the the his singing Leslie Odom Jr. who plays him his singing was phenomenal. It was
1: oh, I assumed that he was.
0: It's not dubbed.
1: Oh, I did not know that.
0: Yeah, so I thought he was in um, Hamilton, I think as well. He's very just a very good singer. Um, so I thought he was no, I do very good. I love
1: Sam show. Cook. Oh gosh, who doesn't love Sam Cook's voice? That wasn't
0: really at the forefront of my mind. I think as standalone performances, I thought they were really strong.
1: Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't really like them, but but I thought the issues they raised were important. Yeah. So, I mean, the only the only one I because I thought the dialogue was interesting right how they they brought up different issues of the civil rights movement. The one thing, though, I had a real problem with was when Jim Brown and Malcolm X are in the room and they're having a discussion about what Malcolm X's motivation is. And he's just like, you know, it's always you light skinned people at the front. And I wonder, is it about you proving something to black people and talking about how there's colorism Mm -hmm. and how light skinned people can have it worse from black people? I mean, just so I didn't get that. I thought, hmm, not sure where that's coming from, because I'm not sure how you can be in charge and then also be treated worse. But whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was interesting that he would say like, well, because I've had that conversation with people who I know who will say, oh, well, why is it that you had during the civil rights movement so many light skinned black people in the front of the movement or in charge of things or in politics? But I don't think, I think it has to do more with class. And by class, I mean occupation and status than an actual division based on color. So I think they should have fleshed that out and they didn't. So I was disappointed that they just kind of left that conversation where Malcolm X says, oh, that's just interesting. It's like Malcolm X used to get locked inside bookstores. So I find it hard to believe that that would have been his response. I think he would have actually responded with something more (laughs) <laughs> more nuanced about how if anything even if it, it wouldn't be something i agreed with but malcolm x used to commonly give the speech about house negroes and field negroes and about house negroes being light-skinned i mean i just feel like he would have had some response because he thought a lot about these issues versus like you know besides act like that's the first time he ever heard that like oh wow that's profound no he'd heard everything this is malcolm x we're talking about but i think it did bring up an important concept which is saying if we're talking about the black struggle you have the internal and the external so internally what are the debates how are people understanding each other's roles and then externally what does this look like in a fight against white supremacy so i did think that was interesting to consider it in that way and to me i thought that was the central question that they were dealing with in all their debates over the course of the evening um and the role of celebrity black celebrities in that because i think also because i've watched a ton of malcolm x speeches and i think he talked about that also quite a bit and distinguishes between celebrities that black people back versus celebrities that white people create for black people to follow
0: yeah that's really interesting
1: and i thought that that would have been a place to bring that up because malcolm x talked a lot about that um, I, I watched this one speech he had where he was critical of the March on Washington. And he talked about how they wouldn't let James Baldwin speak because he couldn't be controlled. And they're like, you never know what James will say. So that's why they wouldn't let him speak. And he was like, let him look it up. Like, look it. And that's it. he's always encouraging people to know, Find out. Look who organized who, the march. Sorry, look who was who, allowed
0: to speak. Who wouldn't let him speak?
1: The organizers of the march. Oh, right. Okay. So he was, James Baldwin was at the... At the march, he was on the stage, right? So he was at the forefront with the other celebrities and he was there on the stage. You can see him throughout, but he did not speak. And it raised the question that he was celebrity in a lot of these circles. So why is it that he didn't speak? And he poses that question just it's because they can't make him say what they want him to say versus, I don't know if you know the history of the, I have a dream speech, but they were doing lots of rewriting on the day because they said that it was too militant. They had to change this and change that. So there's lots of history around what they were allowed to say at the March on Washington and what they weren't allowed to say because it was supposed to be about, um, economics, right? Because the full title of the March was about a March on Washington for jobs, right? For jobs, employment. And interestingly, when they play the clip of, I have a dream speech, it's nothing about black labor, which was the central issue of the day. So, Um, which is something that came up in cook, Sam cook, talking about ownership and what real empowerment is. So that's what I mean by like the struggle. So, I mean, that was even a question that you, uh, I feel like people are very misguided in that, but I think that is what it's about, about economics and about ownership. It is about, I mean, but so many issues come into that, right? Because it's like, okay, well, when we talk about ownership is for who, because Sam Cook was talking about his businesses and helping other artists, but that's you know, that's a handful of people. You've got millions of black people. So is that something that's inspirational or is that something that's well that's your business, right? And that's how you choose to to do things. But that is that really the struggle or is that something else? If anything, is that you making your way out of the struggle <laughs> but through through ownership and through yeah. entertainment?
0: what was your issue with that conversation that just didn't go far enough uh
1: no no it was to me it's about the debate because that is the debate Right, right like is it because i do believe it is about economic empowerment and he brought up the important point about i've been to chicago and i see how elijah muhammad lives and i see how the black people live and although I don't know where he got like his house is the only big one around a bunch of because all the houses are big. He lives in a Hyde Park mansion. Well, I'm just saying I've seen it. So it, it there's a bunch of mansions around there. J- Black people don't live in them, but there's a bunch of mansions. So it's not as if he had the mansion on the he is on the south side, but Hyde Park is a bit separate. So it's not as if he was because the way he was making it seem was that he has the big house a bunch in the ghetto. He did. It, it's not in the ghetto. It does though, raise the point that even if Malcolm X, a lot of his dialogue was about economic empowerment, but it's like, but who benefits from that in the nation of Islam? Because it's true that the people at the top have those nice big houses, but how does everyone else live? You know, my own opinion is even if Elijah Muhammad lived in a regular house, it's not as if he could then redistribute that money to ha- so that everyone could have a house, just not enough. So... So even that's something I don't agree with Malcolm X on his, his concept of economic empowerment. I mean, I think I agree with Sam cook's model more because his point was that you can't have a black economy, right? We're American. So we've got to be part of the American economy. Now, if you want to own a business in the hood, Oh, you should certainly be able to. And if you don't want to own a business in the hood, you should, you should be able to, that's the point. So, I thought his whole thing about I want one music chart. I want to be able to play whatever audience I want to. Yeah, hundred percent. You should absolutely be able to do that though. I'm just saying the result of that doesn't mean that black people in general get to share with the wealth. That means Sam cook and his artists are sharing yeah. some wealth. Yeah. So that's my whole thing. Like is how much value do we want to place on that? A few black people doing well, I don't think that's a model that can be replicated. I just think that's a few black people doing well. Um, but I do think that is the core issue is economic empowerment. I just don't think that's an example of it. That's Sam Cooke empowerment. That's not black empowerment, yeah, even yeah. though Sam Cooke's a black person. And even, but that's just it. I mean, I, I think I agree with um, Jim Brown's character that, you know, we shouldn't down somebody for wanting to do that. But certainly then you're not an example because that's not, justice that's not going to help everybody and if anything it's now we see years later in 2020 it's become a problem because people think they can become that and they can't it's it's kind of been weaponized as propaganda do you mean to say
0: they think they can uh work their way out of poverty
1: yeah or they think they can own their own music label i mean what does Jay Z serve as, if not that I can't tell you after he came out with that album how many people I had to talk to about how we can become <laughs> sorry <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at it because I don't want to make fun of anyone certainly for di- for you know people I disagree with but just the idea of it it's like where are you getting this idea that that's how capitalism works where all we have to do is have a dream yeah if jay-z can do it so
0: can we basically
1: yeah if i I have a dream and some moxie and some startup capital (laughs) i can become a billionaire no honestly so i don't think sam cook would have had that message that we everyone can be a sam cook but i think that that's what has been the propaganda now in 2020 that's the propaganda is no everybody can be do you, you think
0: can be. where do you think yeah. the the well I'm not gonna I don't know should I say the film or the play or the author stood the film. on yeah huh? now, yeah yeah
1: I think it's the film yeah
0: so where do you think the author would have stood on that question Do you think the way that Sam Cook um, puts forward the um, his theory of of economic advancement Do you think that's that's what the message the play is trying to push.
1: No, so you know, I I did look into it, but I don't think so. I think what the play was trying to do, and I could be wrong here, is but that's just it. I mean, I think the author, you know, Kemp Powers, sees this as a personal story as friends it sees the, the the interpersonal dynamics between these friends. But I'm more the reason why I like it is because I think it brings up important questions like the kind of the core questions of what the debates are around the black struggle so i don't know if he took a stance on it i think he was presenting the different arguments and having them in dialogue with each other in a way that you didn't see because something to think about right is that malcolm x and Luther king the way they were presented the dichotomy one's an integrationist one's a segregationist right that's that's how they were pitted in the public mind they never had a debate on that issue and if you think about because I've seen some panel discussions they've had from the 70s where these sort of movement leaders and people in high levels of the federal government would come together to debate these issues, but they didn't ask those questions and debate them that what is the Black struggle. Now, they've certainly talked about solutions, and the solutions are always on like a Black capitalism. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's what the... Mr. Powers thinks because I think a lot of black people think that but I think what the play does well is to bring up those core questions and then have them in dialogue with each other so we can just hear like what that debate would sound like which I think is important um and we all know my we all know my stance on it I I feel like that that might have to be my gospel in life going forward I was just talking about to my friend about that today about how when you talk about, because I do support that. Like, yes, we should support black businesses, but that's not the solution to the racial wealth gap. And unfortunately, I think we're in a place where we can all agree that we should buy black, but most of us believe that's the solution to ra- to wealth inequality. And the rest of us are shaking our heads. Like, it's, it's not, it's really not. So in that way, I side with Sam Cook to say like, mm, no black business is not the solution to the racial wealth gap i mean i think he thought it was it was going to do more than it could because he he thought he was playing his role in the struggle by doing that and i would argue that no you're not that's not your role in the struggle just to support black business you, you you've not done anything because i think it's a political struggle that's gonna, not yeah. going to take place with buying and selling and I think that's the problem, right? Is that they did also have that discussion around power, right? Muhammad Ali's character had a whole discussion about real power is being able to live your life the way you want to think the way you want. Um, and I don't know if I would agree with that definition, but I think that's something we all have to have a coming to Jesus moment too. Is like, what do we think power really is? And unfortunately, I think that's what, that model of quote-unquote economic empowerment to buy black, you think that your power is in a, a, as a consumer, and it is not. So Sam Cook was saying your power is in owning things, yeah. not in buying things. And unfortunately, I think it, if I hear that $1 trillion of black, quote-unquote black, I don't know, have you heard that before the $1 trillion of black buying power? No. Okay, so it's a number that people often throw around, and it says that, black people in the US, you know, all 35 million households, no, no, I'm sorry, we've got 15 million households have 30. No. Uh, so 15 million households have $1 trillion oh, of buying more. power. Okay. So what that means, though, because people have not really crunch those numbers, what it really means is that it, it's a marketing tool. So it was never meant to talk about wealth or income. It's how marketers can decide how to sell groups things so they have their own demographics exactly
0: how i would understand it
1: there's no other way to understand it and really what it mostly has to do with credit so you can figure out that so that one trillion isn't a pile of cash people are playing (laughs) in it means you have credit yeah that's that's all it is but unfortunately people take that number who aren't marketers and say If we use this one trillion wisely, then we can buy our way out of the racial wealth gulf. Okay. Yes. Did anyone actually read the report? Because this comes out in reports, and it and the same is going. I don't know where you are in reading the um, British one exactly (laughs) but i just people were commenting the next day and i was like you did not read 300 pages you couldn't have um because reports very clear like we're not measuring wealth we're not measuring income and even the way they knew their numbers are off because they make these assumptions that black labor is like white labor meaning they measure your buying power expecting that your income will grow over time, right? Like they make all these sorts of assumptions that they put in the report in their uh, methodology section. So they explain how they come to those numbers because of course, the first thing is like, well, I know the average black household makes $40,000 a year. That sounds like month to month living to me. I don't know what planet everyone else is living on, but 40,000 for a family of three, mm. <laughs> that's month to month. Seriously though. And then we're to believe that you have all this money, huh? Okay well if you say so but that's where we're living and i think so and this is also 1964 so the economic situation was much different um and i also looked up something interesting i don't know if you looked up hampton house where they stayed i never even heard of it but they've got a Um, You know, it was a hotel because Miami Beach was so segregated and black performers couldn't stay where they performed, which raises a whole nother issue.
0: No, shamefully, I actually didn't even think of that. I just just assumed it was a local hotel, probably a fictional one that was uh, just made up for the play.
1: Oh, no, it is a real place. It's a real place. So they've now made it into a historic motel. It's been refurbished, but pretty much. Yeah, that's what it was. It was Jim Crow because this is Florida, right? So this is the South, Miami Beach, and you could be a musician or nightclub act, but you could not stay in those hotels there. So they talk about uh, Barry Gordy staying there, Sammy Davis Jr., Nat King Cole, Martin Luther King. So <laughs> yeah, no. So I, it'd be interesting to see. But you know, after um, so the, it says yeah, it was a it was a two story fifty room hotel that was an entertainment hotspot and it was known as the quote social center for the south unquote Mm -hmm. and it fell into disrepair after segregation laws changed in the late 60s
0: well one to watch after covid
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah no i've never been to miami it's supposed to be really nice everyone talks about the food and the hotels. I've seen some nice hotels there on Mr. Mrs. Smith.com. I don't know if you ever checked that website out.
0: No. <laughs> no. Uh, are we on the lifestyle section of the night now?
1: <laughs> no, we're not. We're still talking about these key questions. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that in terms of economic empowerment or even the role of celebrities in the struggle?
0: I mean, I'm Googling that... Mr. Mrs. Smith Hotel now. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: But I think I, on the whole, I think it can be a hugely important tool. Now, I don't know. I mean, having said that, I don't know whether it it triggers change, like actual change, but it certainly makes certain issues cool enough to speak about. It's something that's hard to speak of uh, across the board. So I'm going to speak like my, in my own yeah, experience an and my own issues, for example, yeah. the things that are yeah. close to my heart. So um, things like... Um, like British intervention in the Middle East, Palestine, et cetera, Stop the War. The celebrities that speak out, that have been either patrons of these charities or have spoken out in support of that work, they've been hugely valuable to the cause because they give, I it's sad to say, but they do give a, a certain credibility to um, to that cause. They act as a bit of a, of a shield against criticism. You know, like, like something like the Palestine issue, you know, you've got people like Ken Loach or Maxine Peake or like even um Steve Coogan speaking out. And the associations that people make with those celebrities give credence to to that cause no
1: i hear what you're saying do you see what i mean a, a brand no it gives a brand awareness that's yeah exactly what it yeah does. but
0: i am very because careful you can
1: associate the issue with everything you associate with that that's after.
0: it that's it so something as simple as that but i am careful about that's why i think it's worth an actual debate and a, and a much longer discussion because i do think this applies to certain um issues and it's it's not applicable across the board and i don't because then you, you end up on the other end of the scale. You end up with, you know, the Joseph Coney um, fiasco. I forgot about that. And I you know, always
1: forget about that. That's... And then it comes back. But I thought that What you know what, though? I thought that was an important moment for activists throughout the continent of Africa. Do you?
0: Like in what sense?
1: Because there were a few more prominent ones. And I know there's lots, but mm. just a few that were prominent and were able to publish pieces to say, like these are how we see the issues of our nationality. And this is how we see, what did they, there was a name for it, like the white savior industrial complex. So it was able to do both things. And I think without, even though I'm not sure how, why that message was in terms of globally, but I think that having that campaign allowed that moment to happen, to say, stop making it seem like people here aren't, Active, like we don't do anything, okay. and and that we're not critical of colonialism and post colonialism. So an important moment for them to say, like, this is what's happening, and you should be supporting what we do. Like, there's lots, of and that's just it, like there's lots of these organizations. Find one of those you support. No, I remember when that came out; that was quite a big deal. Like, oh, I never heard of this guy. Let's look into this. Wow, he sounds dangerous. <laughs> um, I don't yeah, know if you it ever saw like a fundraising thing. Yeah, yeah did Does you ever what? ever
0: see the video of the? You know, the founder of the campaign. Yeah. Him losing the
1: plot and running around naked. I only heard about oh, that. Hilarious. But he still he still has a job, though. Because he still... <laughs> Even he has a well, job. he does. Yeah, mm. he does. So he still works. That didn't cost him his non-profit. <laughs> I feel like I watched something recently. Did I watch something recently around... I feel like I did. What did I watch I would... that was around... Oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. Okay. So what it was was a documentary on no i'm talking about dw no no no. it's called dw so it was a dw documentary about the super rich in central africa and it was about congo there was certainly a prosperity gospel that's popular there and i don't know how popular it is i couldn't tell but there was an evangelist who fills an arena with people and that is his message about yeah, it's prosperity mm-hmm. gospel, pretty much. And there was a couple of people who they profiled who, you know, kind of regular working okay. class people. Yeah, yeah, And they said, no, they believed that they were going to be millionaires. And based on what I don't know, because their <laughs> profits were not such, you know, it's not as if they have these small businesses that were expanding into a chain. And they said, oh, yes, we're no like individual people selling things. And he sold this juice and it had gasoline in it. And he was selling that to people because it was a treatment for all of the diseases, any sort of ill. And of course, he was selling it like it was there. Were the, and the way he sold it, it was like a week's wages for the price that he was selling this stuff. And he's going to have a factory to start mass producing it. But meanwhile, they profile this other guy who is who does actually have money and he's building infrastructure. So he's working on a dam that's going to provide electricity and a few jobs. I mean, 6,000 in a country that size, it's like 6,000 jobs. I don't, I don't want to poo-poo it, but it is just 6,000 jobs. But the real benefit is the infrastructure and the electricity that he'll be providing to people without it. So um, it's like those, those don't even belong in the same. Those are two very different things. But when, But just that belief that, no, we can be rich, too. You're like, oh, oh, scary stuff. But you know, being American, I hear that every day. <laughs> that, famous, exactly. that that famous. I was telling my friend about that too. The famous John Steinbeck quotes, like "There are no poor people, only future millionaires." That's uh, oh at.
0: my god! That sums That's up so face. much. So um, on that positive note, would you have any conclusive words about the film?
1: Just that I think it should be watched, even though I did not care for the acting. I did care a lot for the central questions they asked around what the struggle is what the celebrity role is in the struggle and even though we didn't talk about it what's the role of religion i think that's also an important Ah, question they raised
0: Um, this is all we've got time for this week you can follow us and comment and send us any feedback um, and requests on twitter at mydilarama or write to us via our website